and welcome to This Week in James City County. I'm your host, Renee Dahlman. This week we are continuing our deeper dive into the workforce housing situation here in James City County. Today I have with us two guests, Kira Cook. Kira is the Director of Strategic Initiatives and the Program Officer for Williamsburg Health Foundation. The foundation provides grants to improve the current and future health of our community and convenes groups in the community to solve health challenges that cannot be addressed by one agency alone. Kira is also the chair of the Williamsburg James City County School Board. Welcome, Kira. Hi, Renee. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you here. We're also joined by Bob Adams. Bob is the executive director of Housing Virginia. Housing Virginia is a statewide partnership of public and private organizations and committed individuals. They believe that all Virginians should have access to high-quality, affordable housing in suitable locations. Welcome, Bob. Hi, Renee. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Well, let's just jump in and get started. Tell me, what is the connection between an individual's health and their housing? How are the two connected? Let me start uh, just with a little bit of background about Housing Virginia and sort of how we got to this topic. So... Uh, as you said, Housing Virginia's organization has been around for uh, more than a decade, and we look at uh, housing needs in Virginia and how to meet them. And we also look at why it is that housing is so important in the communities around the state. And one of the unique aspects of that is how housing connects to other issues that are sometimes considered more important in our community. For And so, for example, we have uh, taken a look over the last uh, four or five years at some of these connections. We've looked at housing and transportation, housing and economic development. Mm-hmm. And uh, our board asked us to, about a year ago to begin to look at the connections between housing and health. And that's a an issue that has been really, I think, uh, rising in importance and prominence nationally and now here in Virginia and here in the Williamsburg area over the last year. So as a part of that work, we did a report for the Williamsburg Health Foundation uh, last year looking at how housing and health connect, uh, particularly here in Williamsburg, James City County, uh, and York County. So the short answer, and this is a uh, this is a topic we're going we're to take a little while to, to talk through. But you know, I've been involved in housing for my whole life, and your podcast listeners can't see me, but trust me, uh, that's a long time. I've been doing this work for uh, almost forty years. So years ago, we understood this housing health connection in a very limited way, and one of those examples was lead paint. So that was really one of the first areas where we saw, oh, the environmental conditions in a house can, in fact, have significant impact on the families that are living there, and especially in the case of lead paint on young children. So families living in housing with lead paint that was peeling or flaking or was uh, coming off in, uh, in dust in window wells and on doors, the result of that was uh, elevated lead levels in Uh, the blood of children, and that has very profound, can be long-term impacts on on growth and development. So that was sort of our first peek into this window. But as it turns out, uh, those connections are far more widespread and run across a whole range of impacts from the physical conditions that 
for example, I just described uh, with lead paint to psychological impacts that a housing can have. And, you know, one of the things I, we've learned from talking with people like Kira is this uh, concept of the social determinants of health. Um, and maybe you, Kira, might say a word about that because you will explain it far better than I can. Sure, Bob. Thank you. So basically, in this country, we invest a tremendous amount of money in access to health care and in health services. Yet, when you look at the, the research, the social science tells us that that comprises roughly 20% of causes related to health outcomes. And so um, there are other things like behavior, right? Um, do you smoke? Do you exercise? Do you eat healthy food? That has a larger impact than access to health care or your genetic code, right? Mm -hmm. But now we're coming to learn that your zip code may have, in fact, more to do with your health outcomes than your genetic code. And that's through the work that Bob and his team are doing, helping localities understand in their own community what that looks like. So for instance, in our community, Bob took a look at life expectancy. And in our wealthier zip code, our wealthier rather census tracts, uh, the life expectancy is 86 years. But in our, our, our less well-off census tract, it's 74 years. So when you connect poverty and where you're living and what your educational attainment level is, all of those things, it has a very profound impact on your health outcomes. So organizations like mine, the Williamsburg Health Foundation, are starting to look at what we call, Bob call it social determinants of health. Sometimes we call it upstream determinants of health, but things that are more foundational like housing, transportation, food access, that kind of thing. Now, Bob, you had said something about psychological impacts. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, so we th have come to th or think about this housing health connection really in three areas. One is physical condition of the house, and I mentioned one about lead paint, but right. there's a number of others that we can come back to. Second is, what are the circumstances and conditions in the neighborhood in which the, the home is located? And then the third area is housing affordability, which is the area I've spent most of my career in. So one of the conditions that people find, particularly people with limited incomes, find themselves in in all of our communities in Virginia and across the nation is something we've, we have started to call housing insecurity. That's a, a fancy name for people simply not having the resources available to find good, decent, stable housing for them and their family. So housing instability in its most profound form is homelessness. And what the Science is very good on this, that uh, individuals and families that experience housing instability, where they may change their home every you know, two or three times a year, may end up without a home for a period of time in a shelter or in transitional housing, that has very profound uh, psychological uh, impacts on those individuals. And that can result in a wide range of mental health issues, depression being, uh, you know, a primary one. So you, what you find in some of those individuals is it's a, it's a vicious uh, cycle. So they don't have the resources to be able to be in stable housing and with all of the psychological benefits that come with having a stable home, a place to go home every evening, a place where you can find peace and quiet, they don't have that. And that causes anxiety, depression, which makes it more difficult for them to be able to get the kind of stability, stay stable in a job, gain access to other 
community resources, including mental health resources or financial resources that are available. So you can have families that will cycle down, uh, end up uh, in a you know very profound state of homelessness as a result of the kind of the psychological impact of not having a place to call home. And I think, you know, all of us can appreciate that, that your home is really a, a place where you can be yourself, where you can relax, where, you know, you can let the pressures of the day go away. And if you don't have that stable place to go, you're not able to get that release that, that all of us experience when we go home at the end of the day and, and uh, take a deep breath and relax. And the impact in families can be really profound, particularly in young children, because if their parents are in a constant state of anxiety and in transition, what we now know is that the way uh, young children, uh, their brains form over time, it actually changes the way their brains function, and then therefore, the way they learn uh, and, and in a classroom environment. So. Um, it's really critical to to the health of an entire family and, and by extension the health of a community that people who are living in this community have stable housing. And that's particularly challenging in James City County because our average annual wage is comparatively low, right? Yet our per capita income is comparatively high, which suggests that people who are working actually are making less money than people who are not which puts tremendous burden on the housing market and makes housing more expensive. So you can be instably housed, unstably housed in this community and working full time, sometimes in two jobs, right? And, right? But still not have enough money to have stability in your housing situation. So, and we see that every day in our schools. In fact, four years ago, Williamsburg James City County Schools had the sixth highest rate of homelessness among its students in the state of Virginia out of 132 divisions. Three years ago, we were 10th highest, so we made a little bit of progress. And I can't tell you what we were last year because the Virginia Department of Education isn't making that data readily available um, right now. They're changing the way they publish data right now, and maybe that'll be available in the future. But we we have a pretty high rate of homelessness uh, with a lot of children living in in, in motels, which is stressful for families. Well, and I am certain people listening to this podcast have no idea that it's that high. Did you say 10th in the state? 10th, yeah, as of three years ago. That's amazing. Let me go back to something that Kira referenced a couple of minutes ago, talking about the correlation between life expectancy, which mm. is you know one of the more profound ways we measure health, to the condition of both incomes and the condition of housing in, in neighborhoods. Um, and give you a couple more examples of how this health and housing condition plays out. So I live in Richmond. Um, Richmond happens to be uh, one of the, have the highest incidences of childhood asthma in the country. It's an asthma center. And what we have learned over time is that where are the triggers for asthma? And it turns out that there are a lot of environmental triggers in the home, uh, particularly for childhood asthma. And that includes um, mold, uh, which is a condition that uh, occurs because you have improper ventilation in a home. You may have, uh, uh, you know, not uh, the home isn't uh, well enough ventilated to get water vapor out, or the home has leaks uh, that are bringing, uh, you know, water into the interior. And it's of the expensive house. to mitigate that when you have that in your home. That's right. If you have limited income, uh, you, your house is uh, most likely going to be in poor condition, so you're going to have some of those kinds of environmental factors that, that trigger asthma. Another uh, example is uh, 
you know, we have a lot of seniors, uh, we have an aging population generally. Uh, so we have a lot of seniors who choose to age in place, mm -hmm. stay in the homes that they're in. And uh, sometimes those homes are not particularly well suited to a person whose needs are changing, whose physical needs are changing, who may have difficulty, increasing difficulty with mobility. So we have seniors in homes where there may be uh, five steps up to the front of the house, um, and there may be uh, a railing not in very good shape to help them get up, get up into their house. And once inside their house, they may have to go upstairs to a bedroom. Uh, the kitchen, uh, the way that the cabinets or the countertops or the appliances in the kitchen are configured may not be conducive to somebody who is losing the ability to move away and move around in the way that we do when we're younger. Right. So one thing we need to be paying attention to is in order to keep seniors safe in homes that they want to stay in is to be able to get into those houses and make some physical adaptations and accommodations that'll make those uh, houses work better for them and uh, allow them to, to stay there. And oftentimes, you know, when you ask older people, and I'm one of them, uh, how they want to, what they want to do after they retire in terms of housing, our, uh, what we're seeing is a real change. Baby boomers, my generation, uh, much more inclined to want to stay in the home they're in, in the neighborhood they're in, stay connected to that community. My parents' generation, more likely to want to move to a different location, even move to a different state, retire to Florida or to Texas or... Um, or to Williamsburg. Or to Williamsburg. <laughs> and uh, that's not so much the case anymore. So people want to stay where they are. And that has really uh, put a stress on our ability to make sure that those homes that they're in still work for them. You know, the other thing with uh, seniors and sort of improving their housing status is that, you know, cost is an issue. One of the most important things that happens when you reach retirement age is your income drops dramatically. Right. And we have a, um, there's a little bit of a myth um, in this country that baby boomers are well prepared for retirement. The truth is quite the opposite, right. that um, more than half do not have sufficient savings to maintain the quality of life that they uh, they want to. So we not only have to figure out how to make sure that the kinds of improvements are made to uh, homes that will work for people and that will be the right, you know, the right modifications, but we have to figure out how to do that in a way that works within the budget that family has. Sure. At the Health Foundation, we are concerned about the older adult population and, and making sure that in, when older people get to the point where maybe it's not safe for them to be in their home or they cannot afford that anymore, that they do have supportive housing options that are affordable to them, perhaps on a sliding scale. And one thing that is of note, we have a wonderful project in James City County called Parker View, and it's right there on Ironbound Road. But there's a long waiting list. And mm. if you look at the statistics in Virginia and in the nation, what you'll see is um, if you look at the rate of supportive housing for the elderly and you look at Parkerview, what you what you see in James City County is that we should have four or five more Parkerviews than we currently have. Really? Just to be on par with the rest of the nation, that does not take into account that we have a disproportionately high number of older adults. So you could 
you could argue that we would need six more Parker views to accommodate our existing population. So tell me a little bit more about Parker View. Parker View is a wonderful opportunity for older adults in our community who maybe have uh, lived and worked here their entire lives, but maybe they were in the service industry and didn't amass a tremendous amount of wealth as they were working. And so Parker View allows um, an individual to live in a clean, safe, friendly environment on a sliding scale relative to their income. So they're able to do that. And then there are um, limited services provided to residents there. There's congregate meals provided occasionally. There's social programming. There's a, an activities director of sorts on site to make sure that residents are engaged in the community. And of course, it's on the transportation line. So people who are physically able can get on a water bus and go go shopping and then of course there's great sidewalks there and so they can walk into high street or over to newtown and really engage in the community so it's located favorably as well so what we find whether it's families who are working families with children who are working or whether it's older adults like bob mentioned who are not working any longer we find people having to put a huge percentage of their income into housing and then make difficult choices when it comes to transportation, medication access, um, getting proper medical care, food. And so they're putting themselves in, in sometimes socially isolated positions because it's all they can do just to stay in their house. And that's, at the end of the day, not good for the community. Right. One of the statistics that really jumped out when we did this work in uh, in this region was looking at the growth in the number of seniors that live alone. And that's a, we obviously have a rapidly growing senior population, but if you look at seniors living alone, that is growing uh, quicker than any other segment of the population. So that, the, uh, those households are particularly vulnerable, right? Because they don't have help mm -hmm. uh, immediately available. And, uh, so that can create a problem just in terms of physical safety in the home, but it also uh, can create a problem with psychological isolation. So, you know, in addition to thinking about how we improve homes, uh, we need to be thinking about how we make sure that we can deliver services to people, including just uh, visiting uh, to make sure that people don't become socially isolated. And that really connects to another way that we think about housing and health, and that, and I mentioned earlier, is about neighborhoods and the neighborhood in which the home is located. So, you know, one good example is, is the home located in a neighborhood that is walkable? Or is it a neighborhood that is completely car dependent? You know, here in this area, we have a lot of communities, uh, particularly where people retired when they were younger, and more active, and they are now living in neighborhoods which are pretty car dependent. And we took a look in this study at three examples, a what we would consider a more suburban neighborhood, very car dependent, no sidewalks, nothing close by to walk to, you know, shopping or services. We also took a look at the core area of the city of Williamsburg, ain't very old mm -hmm. downtown. And what you find is, uh, not surprisingly, and we, and we also looked at the Newtown area, which is a, an effort to kind of recreate an old street pattern. And, and what you find is uh, 
not surprising that walkability is much greater in neighborhoods which have traditional street design. So for downtown Williamsburg, it's a um, much larger uh, area that you can walk to in, uh, in 10 or 15 minutes. You can access a much greater variety of services, uh, shopping. If you are located in a traditional subdivision with a lot of cul-de-sacs, no easy walking paths, you're really uh, locked into being able to use a car. And as we age, of course, our uh, ability to use cars uh, and safely and, and uh, navigate around is, is one of those things that's affected. So as we think about how our housing, how we need to be addressing needs in the housing stock, looking at uh, neighborhood design is a critical part of that. And in terms of social isolation, I'd like to add that because we are a retirement destination, oftentimes people who have come to retire here have abandoned their social networks where they came from. So they may not have their work friends, their family friends, you know, their place of faith. And so they come down here and they establish new ones, but that maybe the roots aren't as deep. And so as we think about delivering services to socially isolated older adults who may have come to the end of their resources, it's, a real, it's something that this community needs to be thoughtful about. Now, something, and I don't know if you all can speak to this, but something that we've talked about in other episodes of this podcast has been the need for diversity in housing stock within the same community. So you have, say, Newtown, I think, is an example where you have single-family homes, you have above-commerce apartments, you have townhomes. What about some of the retirement communities that are in the area. We have some nice retirement communities that have quite a large population. Has there ever been any talk or any consideration of diversifying that housing stock in those communities? You know, I think that's where the trend is going. Okay. Um, I, I think we've had, you know, tastes change and preferences change uh, over time. Uh, we've had a lot of, uh, we've had a model in this country really uh, stretching back uh, 30, 40 years of segregating people in many ways, right. right? So we do it by housing type. We do it by commercial versus housing. Uh, we do it with young and old, uh, with families and, and non-families. So and, and so we've had a lot of uh, restricted age communities that have been developed. Mm-hmm. And there is still a demand for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a choice that some uh, seniors want to make now. Right. But um, there's also changing preferences. And so there's a, a much more significant component of, of my generation that when we think about retirement, we don't necessarily think about living in an age-restricted community. Uh, we want to live in a community that will work for us in terms of access to services, um, but we also want to live in a community that is diverse, where there are families, where there are children, uh, where there are people uh, of a variety of uh, financial means, mm-hmm. um, and where we have a mix of residential and commercial uses. So, um, and, and I think you're beginning, we're beginning to see those kinds of communities develop. So uh, it doesn't mean 
the end of age-restricted housing by any stretch. But I think we're going to see other models that, that uh, also become important in serving this very large baby boom population as it moves into retirement. I'd like to say just a word about housing, people who are involved in affordable housing, like myself, connecting more with people who are in the healthcare field. And uh, we uh, at Housing Virginia, we held a conference about a month ago uh, in Richmond, in which uh, our goal, we, and we did it in conjunction with two major health systems in Richmond, and our goal was really to bring people who are involved in the uh, industry of providing affordable housing, get them in the same room with people who are uh, healthcare providers, and begin to uh, talk about what kinds of partnerships might be available. And we really see, uh, and it's a pretty exciting uh, shift, I think, um, we really see among healthcare providers, particularly with all of the pressure on cost uh, containment, uh, healthcare providers becoming really concerned about the living environments that their patients are returning to mm-hmm. after, uh, after a hospitalization, after an right. operation, and to make sure that the living conditions that they're in are going to be conducive to them getting better sure. and that are not going to result in them having a return visit to the emergency room or back to the hospital. And in fact, uh, uh, there are penalties, that uh, financial penalties that result from people returning to uh, on a repeated basis. So uh, I think there's real opportunity, and we've seen it in a number of communities around Virginia already, uh, partnerships between um, major healthcare institutions and affordable housing providers working together uh, to provide high quality affordable housing that will also have very positive uh, health impacts uh, for the people living there. So those kinds of partnerships are, are um, emerging and it's something we'd like to see a lot more of. I think there's opportunities to do that here in the in the Williamsburg area and, and in, in many communities around the state. Uh, one other point I want to make about housing affordability as it relates to health it just has to do with the family budget. And so particularly for families with, uh, with limited incomes, um, housing represents almost always the largest segment of their family budget. And it's also the part of the budget which um, must be paid uh, if, if you're going to you know, maintain a stable roof over your head, you've got to pay that rent or you've got to make that mortgage payment. Um, and so to the extent that that payment is, you know, we in this country, uh, we have a standard that 30%, if you're paying more than 30% of your income for housing, you are technically housing cost burdened. If you're paying more than 50% of your income, you're severely cost burdened. If you look at low income renters, uh, typically they are paying 60 to 75% of their income for housing. And so the result of that is that other parts of that budget get squeezed, and that can include health care uh, services, and it can include healthy food, um, and it can include recreation. All, are, all of these are things that um, uh, have an impact on, on the health of the people living in that household. So there's really a direct correlation between housing affordability um, and, um, and, and people's, uh, people's ability to do things that are going to make them healthier. Kara, with your school hat, 
on. Are you seeing that in the schools? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of the reason that the school health initiative program exists is to try to engage kids at an early age in healthy eating and active living. And again, back to the comment about homelessness, we do have a large a comparatively large proportion of students who are living in motels, which prevents them from being able to play outside or sleep well, which is another healthy habit, um, or cook healthy food. And so that situation leads to a lot of, unfortunately, unhealthy behavior for for those kids and their families. Thank you both so much for taking time out of your days to come in and participate with the podcast. Thanks for having me, Renee. Thanks, Renee. Enjoyed it. For those of you who are wanting to learn more about workforce housing, please go to the county's website at jamescitycountyva.gov forward slash WHTF. Well, that wraps up this episode of This Week in James City County. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on Twitter or Stitcher or wherever you get podcasts. Also go to our county's website at jamescitycountyva.gov forward slash podcast and leave us comments and ideas for future episodes. So we will talk with you next week.